Artifice, written by Eric Bickernix, narrated by me, Eric Bickernix, with more than 40 other people. Okay, here we go. Chapter 1, Art Gallery. I was going out of my mind, trying to get everything ready for the Eastboro Artist Guild exhibit. We were expecting about 100 guests over the course of the night, which wasn't too bad for a frame shop that's located in a strip mall in the middle of Massachusetts. Jerry and I had been working together for the past three years, making and selling frames to the same artists who would be there that night. He's in his early 30s, kind of overweight, and has perpetually messy hair. I was just happy that he wore a collared golf shirt to this event and not his typical heavy metal t-shirt. My job was to assign three winning ribbons to the artwork I'd already vetted and hopefully get some new customers on board. I pointed with a hammer to a row of artwork that I had just hung on the wall and said to Jerry, we need the rest of the title cards printed out and stuck next to the piece. I'm going to hang these last two paintings. Right, Jerry said. When's the newspaper photographer supposed to be here? Around seven. It sucked that I couldn't have my own artwork in the show, but I could place my own stuff front and center by the door. The show was kind of a big deal for most of these artists, as this will be the only public place their artwork will be seen. There was this desperate hope that permeated over this event that one of their pieces would sell. It rarely happened. Most of the stuff came straight out of the Bob Ross School of Painting. Forest landscapes and waterfalls, complete with a token deer in the foreground. If it didn't match someone's couch, there was no way it would come off that wall unless I took it down and sent it back. I was always amused at the price tag they attached to their precious creations. $200 for a 10 by 12 inch fuzzy painting of a cabin in the woods? You could get a Thomas Kincaid abortion printed out on glossy stock for that kind of money. I wish we had a giant refrigerated door which we could hang everything on with some big magnets. Everyone's mom would then come down and dole out positive affirmation for their offspring's precious creations just like we did in elementary school. It would certainly make my job that much easier. Jerry said, So I've got 12 paintings, all called Untitled. What goes with what? I told those guys they should at least call it something, anything. Okay, I've got an idea. You come up with an adjective, I'll do a verb. That will be the name of the first piece. Go. Uh, insurmountably? Woven. Insurmountably woven? Yeah, that works. I'll print it up. A bunch of guests arrive just as I hung the last painting. At a side table, Nina, from the Progenal Coffee Shop, was setting up the wine and cheese. Next to her, Carol, was trying to make room for her bread bowl. Terrible artist. She did lousy knockoffs of Margaret Keene paintings, all those sad, bug-eyed children. But as long as she brought her bread bowl, she was in. Brent, all dressed in black with the prerequisite dark sunglasses, made his appearance. Hanging around his neck was what looked like a bright red stick of dynamite on a piece of string. It looked like he painted a road flare and added a piece of gray rope as a fuse. Brent was an artist with a capital A. His stuff certainly wasn't boring. In fact, we never knew what the hell he was thinking most of the time. For a while, he was doing performance art. One time, he pretended to nail himself up on a cross out by Route 9. But he only managed to hang there like a wounded kitten for three minutes before his wrists started throbbing and he had to get down. He'd only suffer for his art for so long, apparently. Jerry came out of the office carrying something that looked like a science project. All right, 
I know how we can prevent the guests from touching the artwork. Bigger signs? No. I made some trap artwork titled, The Light of Life is Always On. He flipped the thing over. It was a painting of a sunset and had a toggle switch attached to the canvas. Beside the switch were the words, Off On. If you look at the back, I've got this battery and a motorized gear. If somebody turns the switch on, the gear will turn and dump the painting on the ground. It's all set to fall apart on impact. Let me guess, the switch will be set to off. Yep. And when they read the title and try to do something about it, they'll realize they should have known better. Don't touch the artwork. So this is how you like to express yourself, huh? In a bad Japanese accent, he replied, Be happy in your work. Then strolled off to set up his art trap. Jerry loves speaking in film quotes. That one was from Colonel Zaito from Bridge on the River Kwai. Mr. Moonscape burst through the front door and approached me. He looked anxious. Hey, where's that bathroom again? I pointed. Through the workshop, on the left. I called him Mr. Moonscape because he paints moonscapes on black velvet, replete with UFOs and black monoliths. He didn't even realize that painting on velvet stopped being ironic even before Elvis died. You typically saw him set up off Route 20 in the parking lot of the mobile station, hawking his wares to the type of people who are looking for pork rinds and boiled peanuts. Since he was the most visible artist in town, I had to let him in. Thank God I didn't hang his stuff in the bathroom as I intended. Eventually, 6 o'clock rolled around, and I was supposed to start the show. Everybody was already armed with their drinks and hors d'oeuvres. They had formed little comment circles around the artwork addressing each other with hypocritical politeness. It was time for my introduction. In my best announcer voice, I said, Hey everyone, thanks for coming by the Eastboro Artist Guild show. I see some really great art this year. Was my nose starting to grow? We're happy to sponsor you guys at our gallery. Moving the exhibit from the walkways of the library to this location was a great idea. Jerry shouted from the back, And we don't take library fines. There was some polite snickering. Okay, everyone, I said. Hopefully this is just the beginning, so thanks for coming and enjoy the exhibit. I was now obligated to do the circuit of meet and greet, reminding myself to refrain from making too many snarky comments, or at least until the booze kicked in. I went over to a group standing in front of James's painting. He turned to me and said, Why am I over here by the fire extinguisher? James was one of the few full-time ponytailed artists who almost made a living at what he does paintings mixed with collage elements. In reality, he was living off of his Air Force disability pension. He managed to injure his back when he fell out of a cargo bay of a C-17 when he was stationed in Germany back in 1983. I said, you're the first one I grabbed, starting down the wall from left to right. Jerry scooted up next to me and pointed at the little title card. Intermezzo 6? He said to James. What did Intermezzo's 1 to 5 look like? James finished taking a sip from his wine glass. I never completed them, Jerry said with a grin. Then shouldn't you have called this Intermezzo 1? Now you have no more room for improvement. Jerry's mission in life was to bust everyone's balls. James ignored him and then asked me, Why do you guys hang such dreck on the walls? How many renderings of fruit balls does the world need to see? We take what comes in, James. These people aren't real artists. They all have corporate jobs. They're more worried about their IRAs than their work. James was in full struggling artist mode again. Because he lived in a shitty apartment, he resents anyone with nice furniture. 
I spend more time cleaning my brushes than these people do applying paint. They think that buying an expensive frame will make their stuff look better. We've all heard this from James before. If his indignation were headlights, we'd all be scratching ourselves silly, I told him. You'd be amazed at what a nice frame does to anything. Right, he said. Then he held out his hands, the width of a picture frame. Between these borders signifies art. I didn't have the heart to tell him that we make our living selling expensive frames to all these weekend artists. Brett wandered over. Hey, man. Great show. His entry was this incredibly dark painting with layers of caked-on black acrylic paint that sort of formed a relief map on its surface. Stuck on the left side was an actual dead mouse, polyurethaned in frozen agony. He called this masterpiece, Meet Your Destiny, Jerry asked. So what's with the dynamite around your neck? Brent reached for his prop. I thought I might explode onto the art scene. Damn it, I couldn't tell if he was trying to be funny or provocative. I said, you do realize you look like a crazed bohemian terrorist. He stood there for a moment, smiled at me, then said, A la snack bar. A play off the term a la Akbar. I told him, you know David Lynch did a painting with a dead rat embedded in it, right? It was called Meat as a Face. Brent struck his contemplation pose and then pondered his creation. You see, the mouse represents the darkness of the underground. Okay, fine. But my point is, it's been done before. It has? That's the problem with Brent. He has no filters. It's what made him an interesting artist, but it also filtered out the fact that someone else's artwork had inspired him. He headed towards the bathroom with his head down. Jerry said, Wow, I think you made him cry, dude. Look, I like the guy's stuff. It's just that this one was so painfully obvious, and a sudden crash brought all conversation to a halt. Across the room, there was a guy staring at a pile of broken metal and wood next to his feet. That was Jerry's cue. Oh. My. God. Look what you did to my artwork. The guy raised his hands. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Don't you know? You're not supposed to touch the artwork. But, but the sign said. Jerry waited a beat, flashed his satisfied grin, and then said, Nah, I got you. Look, there's a motor on the back which makes it fall. See? The guy worked up a laugh, sort of. Jerry scooped up all the parts. Here, let's set it up for the next person. While Jerry reassembled his art trap, I made sure the food and booze were holding up. In front of the bread bowl was Leslie. Mmm, this is great. She said while dipping a chunk of bread into the opening. Leslie was in her 50s and practically left the trail of granola behind her everywhere she went. She was that earthy crunchy. Her thing was found objects in clay. She basically sculpted random crap into weird shapes and gave it a name. This year she submitted a fold-over clay pot that looked something like a vagina. Because I couldn't hang it on the wall, I had to stick it on its own little platform. I grabbed a chunk of bread, popped it into my mouth, then studied her creation. I felt obligated to say something. I like what you did with the glazing. I lied. She wasn't listening. Do you think anyone is going to bump it? This stand looks flimsy. She knelt down to adjust it. There was a little piece of string trailing out from the pot's opening. She inspected this errant piece of debris like a piece of fluff on a sweater. It wasn't part of her creation. She pulled on it and a wet tea bag slid out from the opening. We both watched it dangle from her hand for a second. It looked like some kind of tampon surrogate. Who did this? Her head whipped around the room, looking for a culprit. God damn it, I said in feigned outrage. 
Somebody must have left it there. I'm sorry. She had the biggest pissed off look on her face while she continued to scan for someone who would admit to this insult. I would have to kick Jerry's ass later. I had to get away from Leslie before I lost it. I then made my way over to a set of watercolors. A woman wearing leopard print glasses was studying the paintings. I like how these streaks and lines formed before the water had time to dry. He always comes up with some interesting things. I lied again. I like the name. Insurmountably woven. It makes total sense. I try like hell to not show any reaction. In fact, all the names on these are interesting. Elastic juxtaposition. Undulating burst. Half nude. Hopefully one of these will win a ribbon. I think they're all very unique in their own way. As she continued going on about aesthetics, I noticed Brent taking his painting off the wall. He shuffled towards the middle of the room with a pathetic look on his face. He looked around, paused, then took the painted road flare for off around his neck. He dropped the fake fuse to the floor and removed the striker cap. I froze. What the hell did he think he was doing? It took him three hits with a striker cap to ignite the road flare. A bright red flame burst from the end of the tube. I felt all the blood drain from my skull. He let the bright red flame hit his painting. All those layers of dried chemicals instantly combusted in a big flash. He even seemed surprised at how fast his painting had ignited. He held the flaming red square up above his head for greater effect. He yelled, I will not be judged! Everyone, I mean everyone, turned to look at the shouting, flame-wielding lunatic. Glowing globs of acrylic were falling past his face and burning the carpet. He screamed, I see life! You know that moment right before you get into a car accident where you see it coming, but can't do anything about it? Brent had put us all in that position. It seems Mr. No Filter was ready to have us all, along with himself, die for his art. I had never seen a flame reach that high indoors. I sprinted to the fire extinguisher, pulled it off the wall, and took aim at Brent. Just as I squeezed the trigger, the sprinklers popped on, raining down on the gallery. I hit the jerk right in the face with a spray anyway. He sputtered. I see life! The fire alarm went off and scared the crap out of everybody. Everything in the room got drenched. Now, what do two dozen artists do in the middle of an emergency like this? Immediately head for the door? Nope. They all went for their precious artwork, pulled it off the wall before it got soaked, then scrambled out the front door. All the artwork that took me two days to hang was cleared out of there in 30 seconds flat. I stood there completely soaked, shook my head and said to myself, Show's over, folks.